So according to that, about 20% of us are really good at lying to ourselves. Um, and I would actually, based on the survey we did last week, I would say that percentage is a few ticks higher than that. Uh, because there was a good half of us that raised our hands saying that we're procrastinators. Um, and, uh, and the rest of us just didn't feel like raising our hand, apparently. Uh, but there's a lot of truth to that, right? We, we lie to ourselves, and, and, and maybe we need to trick ourselves into, into not procrastinating. Um, I know I've had to come up with some things like that for myself, just to, you know, some different ways to, to push back on, on that part of, of me that wants to just wait and do it later. We've been talking about the difficulties of change in the Christian life, and this series is called I'll Do It Tomorrow, because oftentimes we say this. <laughs> we say this about things, and, and specifically we say this about our walk with Jesus uh, very often. And we, when we can understand the procrastination of our sanctification and how much that actually uh, damages our walk with Jesus, because essentially to break that down, the procrastination, meaning the putting off of, the waiting until, and our sanctification is a big word that just means growing as a Christian. If we put those things off and we just wait till tomorrow, tomorrow never actually arrives, does it? We talked about that last week too, and I had a lot of people actually say something like, man, I never really thought about it that way, that tomorrow never actually gets here. Because uh, we could constantly say tomorrow, and there will always be another tomorrow. But changes happen. Changes happen. Changes happen in our life. And we know that change is going to happen because it's the one constant that we can count on is change. Um, and we make excuses for ourselves all the time. A lot of times we'll say something like this particular quote. It says, I don't procrastinate. I intentionally wait until the last minute because then I'll be older and therefore wiser. <laughs> Which makes a lot of sense to us in the moment. Doesn't it? Because I'm going to be much wiser like 10 minutes from now, apparently, because I'll be older. But we do this to ourselves all the time, don't we? In some way, shape, or form, we'll say something like this. And where we really do this, though, is in our spiritual growth. We procrastinate our spiritual growth, and we're fantastic at justifying it, because tomorrow never actually arrives. But if we can remember that principle, when those times come where we want to just say, ah, I'll get to it tomorrow, I don't have time, those kinds of things... When, when we really can remember the principle that tomorrow never really arrives, we will look at those opportunities from the Lord that he gives us. We'll be more apt to obey. We'll take advantage of those times more often. But if we put off our responsibilities and we just make excuses, we won't actually get wiser. We'll have the chance actually to get lazy and even bitter, as we're going to see in the story we're going to look at today of a guy named King Saul. King Saul um, was the first king of Israel. We're going to be in the Old Testament today, so if you do have your Bibles or the Bible app, we're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel, and we're going to be starting in chapter 10, but we're going to be pushing all the way through chapter 17. Don't worry, I'm not reading 17 chapters today. Uh, we're going to go through uh, some bits and pieces of it, and, and you're going to see um, really a, a contrast of, of people, um, but King Saul is from the Old Testament. And he put off his responsibility. He put off his responsibility, and, um, and, and we see the ramifications of that. Uh, slight history lesson, King Saul was the first 
king of Israel. And Israel had no king up until that point. And God was their king. As God, you know, he is the king of kings. And he was guiding and directing them. But, but essentially, the, the Israelites were looking at all the other nations of the world. And all of the other nations had kings. And they were like, we want a king. You know, it's a little FOMO or something. I don't know. Um, you know, it's not fair. Why don't we have a king? And God's like, can you not? It's not going to be good. How's that working out for them? And so eventually God just basically says, fine, fine. You want a king? I'll give you a king. And so God gave them what they wanted, even though through the prophet Samuel, who was the prophet at the time, Samuel looked at, at Israel and you can find the verse that says it and basically says, God says this is not a good idea. God says this is something you shouldn't do. Are we clear on that? Is everybody hearing that? And Israel's like, yeah, we want a king anyway. And so they went through with it. And he was the first king of Israel. And, and it describes in 1 Samuel Saul as a handsome young man. And that there was not a man among the people of Israel that was as handsome as he was. And he was head and shoulders taller than anyone else. I wonder if that saying actually comes out of this particular story because it, it does say that as Saul was standing amongst everybody that he was literally a head taller than everyone. So he stood out. He looked the part. He looked kingly. He was handsome. He was big and buff and tall and he looked like a big, strong, powerful king from the outside. And for a minute, maybe a chapter, maybe a chapter and a half, he, he acts like one sort of, kind of. But I want you to see how this started and where this landed. 1 Samuel chapter 10 is where we're going to start. It says this. Then Samuel, he took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? So this is the anointing of Saul as king. And I love how Samuel says this to him and puts it in the form of a question that doesn't really get answered in that moment. But the life of Saul ends up answering this question in a very real way, as you kind of see it through. And the idea of anointing here is much bigger than just dumping oil on his head. Because what happened to Saul's head and his body was a picture of what God did in him spiritually. So this was uh, symbolic, absolutely. But the Holy Spirit was poured out on him in this moment. Because God wasn't setting him up for failure. He wasn't doing that. It's not like God went, fine, I'll, I'll just do this and I'll set you up for failure and then you'll see. That wasn't God's intent here. I, I truly believe, and, and you'll see as, as you read through this, God's intent was to set him up to be the king that he was going to, to bless. But we have free will, don't we? We have the choice to do with what we want with what's given to us. And so the Lord gives him uh, through this anointing, he is the ruler and the king over Israel. But that also means that the Lord gave him power and gave him favor over their enemies and, and would save them using Saul as his representative if, if he would take up the mantle and accept the responsibilities and obey the Lord. And Saul had to make the choice though. He had to make the choice to receive and to utilize God's favor. And you need to really keep that phrase in your mind as, as you go through his story. Because God wasn't going to just give it to him just because he's Saul. There are higher expectations on God's anointed. 
That's just the truth of it. There are higher expectations on God's anointed. And yes, anointing is to be covered with oil as a symbolic gesture, as a designation of sorts, and as a blessing, for sure. But this is also the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit and blessed by the Holy Spirit of God. And this isn't something that just stayed in the Old Testament. While this may seem different to us culturally, sure, um, but the idea of, of an anointing and being anointed isn't just an Old Testament idea. It isn't something from thousands of years ago that doesn't apply to us today because it does. Look in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. John's writing, and he's writing to all of us. He's writing to the church, and here's what he says. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. So what's he really getting at here? He's referring to a common anointing among all believers. Among all believers. It's something that's common to all Christians, but it's something we can and should become more submitted to and responsive to. Put simply, you are anointed. And this is where I want to bring you into the story as well. Because if you have put your trust in Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you, if, if you are a Christian then you are anointed. The Bible's very clear that you are anointed. And, and this anointing makes discernment possible, which is, which is like an, an understanding or, or wisdom about circumstances. But for those who seek it in the Lord, you, you are, are given a, a different type of understanding because you have been anointed doesn't mean that instantly you just know everything. It's not like right away you're, you know, like the scarecrow in, in Wizard of Oz who just all of a sudden is like, and like knows everything like right then and there. That's not, that's not necessarily how this works. But what it does mean is that with the Holy Spirit inside of you, that you, you have a different kind of understanding now. My dad used to say this about scripture. He would say that, uh, that the word of God is like a God's love letter to us. If you're in a relationship and, you, and you've written a love letter to your significant other and someone else reads it, they're like, that's weird. You know, like there's some weird things in there that maybe just the two of you understand because it's a love letter. But when you become a follower of Jesus, that is now God's love letter to you. And so there's some aspects of that that you're gonna have just a better understanding of the more you grow in your relationship with him. So, we, when we receive Jesus, we're anointed with the Holy Spirit. It's poured out on us, into us. The Holy Spirit, he, he is poured out into us. And then we have a calling and we have a responsibility. That's not, the, that's not the end point. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of our relationship with him. And that responsibility that's there, let me say this. We have a responsibility and we know it. Amen. And you know it. You do because the Holy Spirit makes that clear to us that now that I'm a follower of Jesus I have a resp I may not know what that looks like yet I may not know how I'm supposed to do whatever but you know that there's more to it than just fire insurance in the moment you know that this is that this is there there is something to my life here and the spirit tells us because as the word of god says we're now filled with the truth and as we figure that out we have to ask ourselves this question do we want to utilize it and respond to it or just wait till tomorrow? Let me ask it this way. 
are you wasting the anointing of God on your life? That's, that's a hard question to really wrestle with. But really think about it. Are you wasting the anointing of God on your life? Saul, when he was first anointed, he, he was the guy that would run headlong into battle, like right away. Right away, there were battles there, and he was like, yeah, let's do this. Whether he was supposed to do it or not, and the way in which he was supposed to do it or not, and he didn't always listen to all of God's instructions. He listened to some of them, and then others, he would just make his own version of that, and he would do his own version of what God's instructions were. And the reason is because he never truly aligned his heart with God. He never truly aligned his heart with God. He would go into battle and then he'd do his own thing instead of obeying the Lord. And his own selfish choices pushed God into actually taking his hand of favor off of Saul. Where God ends up saying that, that I've taken my hand of favor off of Saul. And instead of listening to the Lord and obeying like a leader like Moses, like Joshua did, who actually in humility grew closer to God as they led, grew closer to the Lord, took a posture of humility and, and grew closer to him every single day. And they were servant leaders. Saul, he took his anointing and he wasted it. He wasted it. Israel wanted a king who looked the part. And so they got a king that looked the part, but internally he wasn't even close. So God made a decision and he basically said, okay, I gave them what they wanted and look how this is turning out. Now we're going to do things my way. And so God appointed a new king and anointed a new king who reflected the heart of God internally because he knew that that would make the difference externally. So he started with who the person was in here not their stature. And so in Samuel 16, 7, Samuel is sent to a family to, uh, and, and God tells him that one of Jesse's sons is the anointed, is going to be the anointed next king of Israel. He's a man after my own heart. And so Samuel shows up and he looks at all the sons and there's a guy that's real tall and good looking and buff and strong and looks like a king. And Samuel's like, that's gotta be him. And the Lord said this, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Are you hearing that? Like this is a principle for all of us, even baked right in here. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Praise God that the Lord looks at the heart. So, this was the same mistake that Israel had made about their first king. Saul looked the part, but he didn't have the heart of the king that God's people should have. And so Samuel made the mistake as well as he was looking and he's looking at these boys and the oldest brother based on his appearance and God made it really clear to Samuel which of the brothers was chosen. It was the youngest. It was the one that nobody thought about it was the one who was out with the sheep who was about his father's business. Verse 13 says, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. 
So this is King David. And as we see the, the compare and contrast about how they handled their lives between Saul versus David, David was a man after God's own heart. He's the descendant of Jesus Christ, who ultimately is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if you don't know what happens next in the story, there's a story that happens after this that you may have heard of that's called David and Goliath. Um, if you haven't heard the story, I would encourage you to go read it because it's pretty awesome. Um, but David's opportunity to battle Goliath um, was only because Saul fell short of God's intentions and he became passive. Really think about that. If you go and read the story, David goes up against Goliath and, and gets the, the smooth stones and with a sling and, and you know, goes to battle against him. But I want you to look at the story within the story of this. Because yeah, Goliath was, was huge and David was not and, and all of those things. But, but here with, with David, his opportunity was only because Saul chose to waste his so look at what happens here. Verses eight through nine and then verse 16. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. So there's a battle going on, but it's actually not going on because Israel's just kind of chilling out. And they're like, I don't think we want to do this right now. And so the Philistines are there and, and they're just kind of camping and they're at a standoff. And there's a space in between the, the, um, the armies. And so Goliath comes out, who's the biggest and the best of the Philistines. So stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. And then verse 16 says, for 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. And it also says how the, the armies of Israel, that they were just scared to death of this guy. He was huge. And the, the battle was there. And so for 40 days, 40 days, he came through. Every, every day, he would come out. Every day, he would come out and challenge them. And every day, Saul did nothing. Nothing. He sat there and did nothing. King Saul. King Saul looked like a king. But instead, at this point, of protecting God's people, instead of taking the responsibility of the king who is anointed and taking his anointing seriously, he sits back and he waits until tomorrow. And he lost the throne. And he lost the throne. Here's the thing. There is a price to be paid for being passive. Amen. And we need to understand that. I think we need to just say that here, right? There is a price to be paid for being passive. Saul chose to take the anointing from God and to waste it. And instead of being obedient and instead of being humble, he allowed his selfishness to take over and then he became complacent and he became apathetic and he got lazy. He got lazy. God gave him clear instructions and he did most of it, sort of. And when he was called out on it, he fell into just being passive. See, the downfall of King Saul here can help us relate to our own struggle with being passive. Often when we read this story, we end up seeing ourselves in David. And there's a lot of truth to that. And there are definitely some, some lessons we can learn for ourselves from David. But I think there are equally the amount of lessons we can learn from Saul 
Because I think too often we end up looking more like Saul. In the story of David and Goliath, for 40 days, Saul refused to go down into the valley and to fight. And as much as he looked like a leader, he refused to fight, hear me on this, he refused to fight the battle with his name on it. This was not David's battle. This was Saul's battle. And there is a price to be paid for being passive. When we refuse to fight the battles that have our names on them, we will always pay the price for that. And it's more than likely a blessing that you're going to miss out on or an opportunity that you never saw that passed you by because we're just being passive and choosing to not step into the battles that have our name on them. So again, I ask this question, are you wasting the anointing of God on your life? Is there a battle with your name on it and you know it and you're just letting it sit there? It might be a battle for your family. And yeah, it's tough to step into that. Might be a battle with sin, with, with you and sin. Might be a battle with yourself that a lot of times is kind of the one and the same. I don't know what that might be. You probably know the rest of the story of David. If you don't, spoiler alert, David beats him. But he stepped into the battlefield where Saul should have been and he took Goliath's challenge personally. That's why David stepped in. He stepped in. Saul didn't hear it as, as, a, as his battle to fight on behalf of God as God's anointed, but David did. David, David said, you're not gonna talk about my God that way. You're not gonna talk about my God that way. Who are you to defy the armies of the living God? Let's do this. And he stepped in. This little dude who was shepherding sheep against a nine-foot giant with all the armor and, and abilities in the world, and he steps in with five stones, and he only needed one because God was behind him. He felt the responsibility as a child of God to step in, and he fought, and he killed Goliath. Look at verse 50 and 51 here. It says, so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took a hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. They turned and ran. This is a result of someone who didn't wait until tomorrow. He didn't wait until tomorrow. It's the power of God in someone who takes their anointing seriously. That's what it looks like. And we can say, I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't have the time. I don't have money. I don't have whatever. You can fill in the blank with whatever excuse you want to use. And David had all of them and then some. No, no, David knew that as a child of God, he had a responsibility he had a responsibility to do something, that something had to change. Something had to change. And with the confidence of the Lord behind him, he stepped into a battle that he had no business being in, that didn't even have his, have his name on it, but he was willing to make the sacrifice needed to do what needed to be done. And when David changed the narrative, so did the rest of the army of Israel because it was infectious. If you keep reading, the army of Israel, they were passive and they were apathetic, just like their king. 
and David steps in, takes out Goliath, the Philistines go running and the army of Israel immediately turned. And they immediately were reflecting now the leader because attitude reflects leadership. And they were reflecting now who was really their leader, which was this 14, 15 year old boy who just took out, took out Goliath, who did the king's job. And they went running and they took out the rest of the Philistines after that. See, when we put off until tomorrow what God wants to do with us today, we have the opportunity to look more like Saul than we do like David. And so are you wasting the anointing of God on your life? I'm gonna keep asking that question. We need to make a declaration statement, I think. I think we need to start with that. We need to make a decision to make a decision. We need to say, I will not allow procrastination to hinder my growth. Maybe we need to just plant the flag on that. You should write this down. Jot it in your phone. Put it, put it on a note in your phone. Put it in reminders. Ask Siri to remind you. Sorry if I just set off your phones. But <laughs> do that. Do whatever it takes. Maybe you need to write a note. Maybe you need to write something that sticks on your, on your mirror every day. It's just, I am not going to allow procrastination today. I'm, today, I'm going to do what I should do. I'm going to take my responsibility as a child of God seriously today, and I'm going to take one step closer today to the Lord than I did yesterday. And I'm not going to allow the procrastination that is within me that wants to be there, that wants to come out, because that's just kind of who we are as humans, right? I'm not gonna let that hinder my growth in the Lord because there's too much at stake and because I have a responsibility as God's anointed, as a child of God, because we are all anointed. We are his ambassadors. We should be growing more and more toward him every single day. And when we do that, when we take one step closer to him every day, than we did the day before, we can seize the opportunities he gives us. Why? Because our eyes are gonna be seeing them coming. We're gonna have our, it's gonna be on our radar. The apostle Peter wrote about this idea of growth and the responsibility that we have to keep changing and to keep growing and to keep stepping into our relationship with the Lord. And, and he drew this analogy to uh, newborn babies and to how uh, a new baby has this instinctive craving for milk from their mother. They, it's just there. And when things are right, you don't have to tell them to want it, right? They, they, they just want it so that they can grow. Look what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, so get rid of all evil behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. How do we do that? Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You're coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you're his holy priests. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. See, you even see the idea of anointing right here, that it's, it's there. See, our failure to crave the, the, or receive even the, the milk of the word of God, the nourishment of the word of God, it's the reason 
for so many problems that we have both individually as Christians and as the church, as congregations, because we don't crave the truth of the word of God enough. We're not leaning into it enough. And why should we do it? Why is it, as it says right there, so that you will grow. See, the word of God is necessary for the growth of the believer. If you're gonna grow, you need to be craving the word of God. You need to be getting into the word of God like, like newborn babies. And who are the newborn babies? Us. We are, at least at some level. And we're all at a different level of growth, right? So the intent of God it's not for us to just stay there, though, as newborn babies. His intent is not for us to just stay there, but for us to continue to grow. He loves us too much to let us stay there, which is why he'll put difficult things in our life sometimes that, that push us toward him if we're willing to take this step. But if we continue the procrastination of our growth in him, then that is all we will ever be, is whiny babies who eventually become passive spectators instead of active participants in what God is doing through his anointed church. Because he wants to do so much through each and every one of us. And so are you wasting the anointing that God has on your life? So here's the connection point. God gave you a responsibility to grow. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till tomorrow. This, this word, I think we need to own this a little bit more. For followers of Jesus, we have a responsibility to grow. We don't always like that word, but it's true. We do. We, our, our responsibility isn't, isn't to be, as I said, a passive spectator. It's to be an active participant in what God is doing. And that begins with the word of God in our life because growth and change, it can, it can really be hindered when we put off our responsibilities to another time of, of simply growing in our faith because how are we gonna see those, those opportunities? How, are, how, is, how is our radar actually gonna be up if we're not even turning the radar on because we're not growing in our walk with Jesus. We're not, our heart isn't becoming more like his. It says, it talks about in Psalms how the desires of, of our heart, the closer we get to him, the more that the desires of our heart become his desires. The things that, that we think we want end up changing into the things that he wants because we end up becoming more like him. We haven't been saved just so that we can sit in our eternal security. Yes, I believe in eternal security. We believe as a church in eternal security, no doubt. Absolutely, but that's, that's not all of it. That's the beginning of it. He's given us a purpose. He's given us a calling. You are a child of God and you have been anointed. Yes, you. Whoever's thinking he's not talking to me. If you have put your trust in Jesus, you have been anointed to make a difference for the kingdom. Right where you are, wherever you're at, but that difference, that difference, that must start in you first. It's got to start here first. And then it will be reflected as we go out. Will you bow your heads with me? We believe in the fact that 
We want to connect to Christ, community, and purpose. And all of those things are wrapped up in what we've talked about today. Connecting to Jesus is the way that you're going to connect to your purpose. And through the community of the church, you're going to be able to find his purpose. If you don't have a relationship with him, it's got to start right there. Because yeah, while we have a responsibility, absolutely, if you haven't put your trust in him, then that responsibility is not yours. But God wants to do so much more with your life than you can probably even imagine. But are we willing to step in and take our anointing seriously? Are we willing to take seriously the fact that if I'm following him, that I've been anointed for a higher purpose, for a higher calling, to do something for the kingdom? Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus and and right now the Holy Spirit's talking to you and telling you, Man, I, I need to get that right. I've heard this a bunch of times, but, but I, I need to take that step. I need, I need to know for sure. I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be in my life. And I'm telling you, it, it will make everything else make sense. Maybe not right at first, but as the word of God says, the truth will be in you. And see, the thing is that the responsibility is just obedience. The results, those are God's. And that's the difference. Our responsibility is to be obedient. Jesus is the one who's responsible for the results. And so you can leave it there. If you need prayer, if you want to know that for sure, we've got people in yellow lanyards that are up here or even at the orange wall back there. You can even come find them right now. You need to pray right now. Altar's open. Get up. Come on. Talk to him. Let's, let's pray. Let's do this. Let's do business with the Lord right now. Let's, let's not wait until tomorrow. Because tomorrow never actually comes. So if you're not sure, you want to know more, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you just need some encouragement. Same. Let's pray. Let's talk. We're a family. We're a church family here. And all are welcome. Heavenly Father, I love you. I praise you. I thank you. Lord, I I know that there's probably some decisions that need to be made in this room or watching online. I pray that that nothing would stop us from from maybe making the decisions we need to make right now. Whether that's to, to really start taking our anointing seriously, to take the responsibility that we have and to not wait until tomorrow. Or it could be because of someone who's just not taken that step to know you and to come to know you and to know for sure that they're going to be with you in heaven. Lord, I pray that all of us would take a step today in some way, shape, or form. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, just move in the hearts of those that are maybe close to, to wanting to, to step forward and to pray with someone, to know that they're loved and they're accepted and they're welcomed here. As tough as it might be to get up in front of everybody or something along those lines. Lord, that's not at all what this is. This is a family. This is, this is a time to come together and to celebrate who you are and what you've done and to worship you, but also a time to maybe do some business with, with God. And so I pray that that would happen here now. I pray your spirit would move powerfully. 
Help us to make the decisions that we need to make. Help us to make a decision to make a decision to not procrastinate on our walk with you, to not wait until tomorrow. Lord, show us what we need to see. Get us out of our own way so that we can hear from you, Father. I pray that you would continue to move in Jesus' name.